Digital Gonzo episode 87, dated Sunday the 8th of July 2012, Batman, Year One, Under the Red Hood, and Return of the Joker. This is the 7th of 11 Batman reviews for Digital Gonzo on the road to The Dark Knight Rises. Coming up, we've got both Arkham games, and finally, The Dark Knight Trilogy. Tonight, we're covering three straight-to-video animated features, and we're going to tackle them in chronological order of Batman's beginning, maturing, and ending. And I'd like to welcome back my guests to the Batcave, Jerome McIntosh and Paul Gibson of Gonzo Planet. Hello. 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 Twelve years, and the ache is still fresh. Like a raw, angry nerve. This isn't about healing. I'm not looking for closure. Batman, Year One, was released in 2011 and based on the 1987 graphic novel written by Frank Miller and illustrated by Dave Mazzucchelli. In the same way that Return of the Joker in many ways echoes Miller's first Batman hit, The Dark Knight Returns, which details the close of Bruce Wayne's career as Defender of Gotham, Year One, similarly to Mask of the Phantasm, is where he starts out. It details Jim Gordon's move to Gotham City PD, where he encounters astonishing corruption. At the same time, Bruce Wayne returns to his city after years abroad, training himself to be a weapon against crime. He goes from being a roughly dressed and unsuccessful hoodlum to a costumed vigilante with a handle on how to strike fear into the hearts of the superstitious and cowardly criminals. Meanwhile, the police are closing in and Gordon's family life is threatened. It was an influence on Tim Burton's 1989 film and many aspects of it were adapted into Christopher Nolan's Batman Begins in 2005. IGN rated Year One as number one in their list of 25 best Batman books in which Hush was number 17. Now, last episode you mentioned that Dave Mazzucchelli was one of your abiding images of Batman in terms of art. Yeah, um, I'm just having a flick through to see if I can find... There's a particular panel. I think it's one of the covers... Mm-hmm. which is just Batman crouched over with the cloak round him mm-hmm. um, and if I can find it I'll send you a link <laughs> but yeah if, I mean if there's an opposite art style to Jim Lee's it's probably heading in this direction yeah it's very it's, noirish and stock yeah noirish simple well simple's probably not the best word but sketchier mm. Yeah, it's not quite that one, but that is one of them. <laughs> Actually, no, I would say simple, simpler and, and more straightforward is, is a good way of describing it. It's, very, it's a lot of, um, similarly to Frank Miller's art himself, it's a lot of uh, blacks and whites and, and greys and broad lines, but without too much detail. Yeah, and obviously there's, what, 20 years difference, mm. pretty much between when they were first, well, 15 years difference. There were advances and... Yeah, big changes in comic art in the 90s, but... And what people required. Yeah, and but this still holds up. And it does... It harks back as well. You know, things like the shape Batman is and the costume and everything else kind of hark back to the very earliest Batman comics. One thing that's important to note at this point is that they, this story hadn't been gone back to in any kind of meaningful way for ages people have forgotten why batman was batman they'd forgotten that his parents were killed and i think after this no one was allowed to forget even the animated series referenced this repeatedly mm. yeah uh, this is pretty much the basis for everything that's come since mm. it's massively important i'm actually going to let you paul talk about it as much as possible because i'm actually not a huge fan fair enough um and Jerome, if you want to, so have to step in. Going more it's difficult to separate the comic from the animated, the animated version here that we're talking about because the, the animated one is so faithful. It's almost like we're talking about the original text. Yeah, I mean, the, the main difference there would be the art style. Yeah. Because, yeah, the animated one is much sleeker, much more modern. A bit more anime. Yeah, definitely style-wise and the way it's done. It's not, I think they actually made it in the same studio as they make uh, Young Justice right now. A lot of their um, straight-to-DVD films come from there. Yeah, that would make sense. Um, 
but yeah, dialogue in it quite often lifted word for word from the comic. You know, not necessarily every word from the comic, but key word balloons definitely translated straight mm-hmm. across into the animation. Um, and to be honest, I'm not sure this style would work animated anyway. Mm. Although it was nice to see the the panels in the credits at the end of the animated version. Yeah. Where there's common ground between this and the animated one is in the character design. Mm-hmm. You know, Jim Gordon in both versions looks pretty much the same. Um, Commissioner Loeb, same. Um, and they do take setups directly from this. How about Bruce? Bruce is a bit different from what I remember. I can't remember how he looks in this. To say I love the artwork in this, but you know. To put it in perspective, this was a four-issue limited series that actually took place along the the main continuity of Batman. It was just it was just moving along, and then suddenly, after the Dark Knight Returns had come and gone, they diverted and did Year One, Part One, Two, Three, and Four, just over four months, and it was it was done suddenly like that. And it was it, it didn't come out with view to making it a graphic novel. It was just that they wanted to take the comic in a different direction and go back and tell a classic core story. Yeah, and it, it absolutely works as both a graphic novel and in the you know in the individual issues. But mm. um, I always liked the parallels in the story. You know, it, it's told from both Batman and Jim Gordon's point of view, mm. and it's pretty much as much as anything. It's a it's a it's a Jim Gordon story rather than a Batman story. Mm. Yeah, he gets he gets short shrift most other uh, Batman productions in terms of animation. Uh, aside from the, the animated series, they made him a key character, but uh, in in the films before Nolan came along, he people didn't even know about Jim Gordon, not as a character. No, I mean they knew who Commissioner Gordon was, but that's just because he'd always been there. I find it frankly bonkers that Burton could have been inspired by Year One, but not noticed that Jim Gordon was kind of core and key to Batman's world, and not made yeah. him an important character. He was just so bumbling and worthless in the Burton films, and then the Schumacher films. Yeah, and yet in this, he's anything but bumbling. He's intelligent, he's... Calculated. You know, he, can, he, can, he can more than take care of himself. Mm. He's occasionally stupid, but that's more in his personal life than anything else. He's, he's definitely good at his job. And who was it who did the voice for him in this? I forget. Brian Cranston. Brian Cranston of uh, Breaking Bad, is it? Yeah, I believe so. I've not actually started watching that yet. Apparently yeah. Cranston uh, didn't know much about the character and hadn't really read up on Batman and didn't realise the comics were that intelligent and deep. I would say that's probably a legacy of some of the other things we've reviewed. <laughs> mm-hmm. Thanks, Joel. I personally find it a little bit dry and boring. Benjamin McKenzie as Bruce and Batman sounds flat and dead. That's true. This is down to interpretation, but coming from the wonderfully rich, yet threatening and still deadly serious Kevin Conroy, and the extremely accomplished follow-up of Bruce Greenwood, McKenzie here fails to make a mark whatsoever. Then again, I found Bruce and Batman dull and unrelatable in the original graphic novel. Shut off from humanity and unresponsive, he's more like Robocop than the Dark Knight. I was also... Never fond of Selina Kyle depicted here, as is so often the way with Frank Miller, as a whore. Buzz cut, aggressive, and not really contributory to the story in any way. My summation is that if you love the graphic novel, you will love this. I'm glad it exists because so many people celebrate the story and it adds serious weight to Batman's all too often campy image. But like the Schumacher Batmans, I find little to engage with or relate to, and for all its gritty realism, little that feels genuine. This is mostly my taste, and I'm in the supreme minority here, but I'm not going to be watching this one again and again and again. Having said that, it was absolutely a key piece of the Batman tapestry, and the beauty of the work was that Miller wrote it some 50 years into Batman's comic continuity, yet it felt like a story that had always been there. Without the original text, we would have needed something else to base the animated series, the Arkham games, and the Nolan films on. It stands as the strongest foundation block beneath Wayne Manor. But Mask of the Phantasm and Batman Begins take the best elements of this and make for two films that engage me personally on an infinitely higher level than year one. To be honest, I quite enjoyed it, even though it did seem to 
drag a bit at certain points. So I, the, the reason I really enjoyed it is because you got to see how uh, how Jim Gordon was. You get to hear his story mm. and how he actually became the police commissioner. There are you know elements of this that were wholesale into the Nolan films, which it does take the strongest bits. But I, I always like the whole sequence in the in the burning building with the cloud of bats and yeah, it's incredibly drawn as well. Eliza Dushku was fine as Catwoman. She's also in the Catwoman short, which I was quite good. I've got to admit, I didn't watch that, mm. and I barely recognised Katie Sackhoff. Oh yeah, she was Essen, wasn't she? She was, and you know, if I hadn't known, then I wouldn't have placed that at all. I'm actually quite surprised in retrospect how little of uh, Jim Gordon's personal life story made it into Batman Begins because that actually would have uh, given his character even more to do. Yeah. Maybe they just kind of focused on the fact that they were going to alienate kids. Oh yeah, because they can't possibly end up doing that with the Nolan films. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose now they might, you know, if they were doing it now, they might consider it. But at the time, you know, the Batman franchise wasn't exactly... Mm, the last Batman film had been Batman and Robin. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> and they took some risks with it as it was. You know, having half the film not being about Batman might have been a bit much, but I'm sure we'll get to that. And obviously, the look for Gary Oldman mm, very was much from this lifted from this. Yeah. Anything else? No, uh, I think we're good on that one. Right, so we'll move on to Under the Red Hood. Night after night. I watch over this city, but now someone stands in the shadows who knows my every move before I make it, stalking me. It ends tonight. Who do you work for? Under the Red Hood, on the other hand, may well be the animated Batman film that appeals to me the most. Based on the Under the Hood storyline by Judd Winnick, written between 2005 and 2006, and directly referencing the Death in the Family storyline of 1988, this also follows on from the Hush graphic novel that we reviewed last episode. If you have yet to read and are planning to, then hold off on this review until you've read Hush and seen Under the Red Hood. It will fit together far better that way. If you've taken them in or don't mind a few spoilers, then listen on. We open with possibly Batman's greatest failure. His second Robin after Dick Grayson, named Jason Todd, is beaten half to death by the Joker and then left in a warehouse which explodes just as Bruce reaches it. This one terrible incident of loss and ruin is actually paralleled in Nolan's The Dark Knight, only without the use of Robin. The original publication of this had a 900 number for readers to call for a vote as to whether Jason should live or die following the explosion. By overwhelming majority, the vote was for the death. You could conclude from this that Batman readers were ghoulish little thugs, or that they wanted their hero to have to deal with something real and permanent that would haunt him forever. Either way, they got their wish. Jason died. Five years later, a new scarlet-masked anti-hero is prowling the streets of Gotham, blackmailing and threatening the criminal fraternity and forcing them to work for him, which enrages the kingpin known as the Black Mask. Batman clashes with him repeatedly, growing more and more suspicious as to his true identity. Eventually, it is revealed to be the very much alive Jason Todd. The key showdown occurs at the end. Bruce believes Jason is angry because Batman let him die. In fact, Jason has forgiven him for this. His fury is over the fact that Bruce allowed the Joker to live after this abominable and very personal crime. What follows is an extremely tense standoff where Jason forces Batman to choose between either killing the Joker or to kill Jason to prevent him from murdering the Joker. The reason I love this film is that it delivers the serious and dynamic Batman with a palpable threat, a constant sense of momentum commensurate with the Nolan films, but most specifically it delves into Batman's past and zeroes in on his moments of weakness, fear and vulnerability. This puts a cold and clinical detective in a situation where he is emotionally 
compromised. He's thrown for a loop in a personal way that few of his rogues gallery can ever muster. And like Hush, he is forced to battle through to emerge on the other side in a state that doesn't quite exemplify victory. Both stories challenge his long-subdued desire to kill, specifically the irredeemable monster, the Joker. Again, in both, damage has been done that will stay with him. There is no Saturday morning rinse and repeat and return to normality. And that's the best kind of Batman story. And if we're honest, it's one of the only weaknesses of the animated series. Everything always went back to normal. So what did you guys think of this story? I truly enjoyed it, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I love this one. I think it's the strongest of, of these three, certainly. Um, although I've, I've just looked at the, the numbers for the, for the death poll for Robin. Mm-hmm. It wasn't overwhelming. Oh, it wasn't overwhelming. <laughs> 5,271 against 5,343 for. Ooh. Oh, close. <laughs> Poor Jason. So, yeah, 0.33%. Yeah, Jerome, if you had voted, <laughs> <laughs> if you'd just been cool. alive and voted. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, selfish. Somehow managed to vote you and all your school friends I don't know yeah I, I wouldn't have voted at the time obviously but I feel um, guilty I was 8 years old I would have been the perfect age but uh, but in all seriousness I probably would have voted against because yeah, I, I, I read I, I some early Jason Todd stuff and he was crap <laughs> Well, he's, he, he was a violent and angry young Robin, and it actually makes far more sense to, to Batman's overarching story to kill him yeah because Jason could have been moulded into a decent young man, but, yeah. but I mean, maybe he couldn't. I mean, maybe ultimately that Bruce was taking him down a darker path, so something like that was going to happen. Well, he was already a, a, a street thug, basically. He was when they met, he was stealing the wheels off the Batmobile. Yeah, I will say straight. <laughs> yeah. I love that. I will say straight off, this is not one to watch with kids. No. I don't know how I did it, but I actually watched this with Lyra and Sharon, and I felt awful. I was like, Joker beats Jason half to death with a crowbar at the beginning. I was thinking, I am the worst father in the world. But Sharon said, now that she's seen that, she now has to see the consequences. I was like, oh, wow. Okay. And she didn't. She was very much engaged with it, but uh, I think she noticed that the Joker had a different voice. And what do you guys think of John DiMaggio? I quite like it, it, to be honest. It took a bit of getting used to. Mm, Me too. Um, Neil wasn't too keen originally. Yeah. It wasn't until he started doing the laugh Mm. that I started getting it. Because the first few bits, he could have been anyone. (laughs) And he becomes manic at the end and actually manages to hold it together there. John DiMaggio is, of course, Bender in um, Futurama, but he's also Marcus Phoenix in Gears of War. And yeah, more towards the Marcus Phoenix <laughs> as Joker than Bender as Joker. Bender, yes. Although there is a little twinge of Brooklyn in there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you, you can generally tell when it's him doing a voice. <laughs> you look good. Been working out? You could probably use a little sun. Then again, who am I to talk? <laughs> He's calling himself the Red Hood. What do you know about it? That he has horrible taste. When I wore that number, it was classy. More flashy Mater D than motorcycle feathers. Oh, these kids today. If you're behind this in any way, we will find out. You're not... Oh, bird boy, you're so much less fun now. All grown up and in your big boy pants. Still, better off than his replacement, right? Even tougher making with the yucks when you're worm food, huh? You're gonna do it this time? Or you're just gonna put me in another body cast for six months? Yeah. 
so disappointing. But back to the matter at hand. This new hoodie. You really think I would stir up so much trouble and not make sure you knew it was me? <laughs> The only uh, other voice yeah. actor I recognised in this, a teenage Jason Todd, mm-hmm. was the same voice actor that played Hope in Final Fantasy XIII. Oh. So, immediate urge to throttle. <laughs> <laughs> you don't blame the joke with all the crowbar action. <laughs> and, of course, older Jason Todd is... Um, uh, Jensen Nationals? Oh, right, no, Neil Patrick Harris was Nightwing, wasn't he? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Doctor Horrible himself. <laughs> Doogie Hauser, that guy from Starship Troopers. Yeah, which actually... And, yeah, Jensen Ackles from Supernatural. And uh, Batman himself is Bruce Greenwood, who reprised his role as Batman in Young Justice. And if there is going to be a replacement for Kevin Conroy, because he's going to have to stop sometime soon. He hasn't retired, I don't believe, like Mark Hamill, but he's he can't do Batman forever. Bruce Greenwood captures a certain quiet charisma and menace about Batman which several other actors including the guy from year one really don't manage to capture no much better than um, Ben McKenzie the year one one it, at points it was like he was reading which I'm guessing he was but you know off a piece of paper yeah, like right. poison ivy <laughs> exactly <laughs> was it Greenwood Greenwood yeah far far better one thing I will say, I love the choreography throughout this whole movie, the way they've got my favourite scene is probably when it's the final scene, Jason against Batman, and they mm. traverse up on top of a church all the way to um, where the Joker is. There's two fantastic moments. I mean, there's several fantastic moments, but the two standout moments really are so short and so subtle. One of them is where Batman goes back to something the Red Hood shouts at him over the roar of a train, and he goes through the audio, and he, he says, You certainly haven't lost your touch! And he takes the sound of the train off, and plays it back several times until he can you know, get it just right, and it's, You certainly haven't lost your touch, Bruce! And it just this sudden... <gasps> on his face, it's like, Shit! And it directly links back to In Hush, where... Batman sees through Clayface because Jason oh, yes. would have called me Bruce. Yeah, Jason would have called him Bruce and Clayface yeah. Jason in that calls him Batman. Yeah. yeah. But as it transpires, they swapped. We can at least reveal that yeah. now. That it was Jason back then for the beginning of the fight, but then he swapped with Clayface in the middle of the chaos. Yeah, he was alive at that point. We find out how he was brought back to life. It did involve the Lazarus Pit. In the original graphic novel, it was Talia who brought him back. In this, it was Ra's al Ghul, hello to Jason Isaacs, uh, who brought him back out of a feeling that. of guilt. Yeah. yeah, I had to do some reading on that, because in the comics, it, it was Talia that put him in the pit, mm. but not that brought him back. Oh, right. It was, it was all tied into Infinite Crisis. Yeah. And Superboy Prime oh. punching reality. Oh, they kept that out of the, uh, the, the film because it wouldn't have made any sense to, to other people. Yeah, mm. and uh, well I, done. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I read and ha- ha- I own these uh, graphic novels. They're excellent. They're considerably longer and, and, and have a lot more ins and outs than, than this. So you know, I, I recommend buying them just to get the full detail on this. But yeah, the, the Superboy punched reality and it, the universe segued into a universe where Jason Todd was alive, which brought him back to life in his coffin... Yeah, <laughs> and he then punched his way out like the bride, like Batman in Doom, and um, not surprisingly yeah. went a bit mental. And not surprisingly, yeah, he, he was somewhat mental. But and that's a terrible way to bring your character back from the dead. Yeah, I, I liked how they did it here, where a lot of, you're not quite sure whether he's just crazy because he's been dead and suddenly been brought back to life, and his mind's not quite or connected or he is actually holding your edge but it's well written in it's better written in the in the film than it is in the book in that the only character who has the means to do this and has the mindset to, to say it's fine to bring people back from the dead I'm doing it to make amends yeah. does it that Ra's al Ghul's like yes this is a gift for you Batman you're welcome your boy back that was my fault sorry 
Yeah, yeah. my bad. Uh, <laughs> Didn't did quite see that coming. Um. <laughs> I, I like the fact that he feels with Ras, it's not like he's just out to get Batman. There's almost rules to it. He you know, hired the Joker to distract him and it went too far, so he's going to try and undo it. Because for the long time, didn't Raz wanted um, Bat- Bruce to succeed him? That's mm, why the whole relationship... Yeah, on a certain level, he still wants that. Well, they alluded to it in um, Batman Begins, even. Yeah. But Bruce spurned him and he went crazy. The crazier. Yeah, yeah he's always been a little bit unhinged. <laughs> Several um, centuries of coming back to life will do that to you. But uh, I, I do like Jason as a... Uh, uh, he's not even really a villain, he's an anti-hero. He considers himself to be the, the figurehead Gotham needs to take down the, the criminals, to not necessarily simply combat them, the notion that it's a hydra and he can't keep cutting his heads off. He, he wants to kind of run them, yeah. th- just oblivious to the amount of corruption he's going to be party to if he is at the top of the pile, having to constantly threaten everybody. Uh, one of the things that they didn't really capture in this so much... Um, but that was in the uh, books is how funny Black Mask is he's funny in a terrifying way but he gets so stressed about everything and it's he doesn't have to be this stressed like he's like I feel like I'm taking crazy pills here (laughs) he's got that kind of mentality where he's like am I the only smart person in Gotham and um, he's a really great character in the book and he's fairly well represented here but I think he doesn't really get enough screen time and um, he doesn't get to banter enough with his PA but uh, yeah like I say read the books by Judd Winnick who uh, previously worked on Green Arrow and is an excellent writer yeah, I do need to read this one actually I like how they stuck to the fact that Black and Matt, uh his PA is just this stone faced woman who mm. reacts to nothing no matter what <laughs> It's like she's digging to his yank. He's constantly yelling where she's. Mm. Well, she has to be. So Zoom yeah, think... coming through the window. Let, let's run. Yeah. Effectively, she's his pepper pots. Yeah. Oh. Okay. <clears throat> that gives an extra parallel to Sharon's patience in the face of my insanity. <laughs> I, I like to think of her more as my Alfred. <laughs> That's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of which, there is actually quite a lot of interaction between, um, not interaction so much, but there's a play scenario with the Red Hood and Alfred in the books where he sends Alfred clues that, to the fact that he's Jason in that Bruce and Alfred used to collect first editions from a very specific shop in England and Jason sends them one. It's kind of like, a, hey, you know what? Only one person knows that you used to do this. And that was me. I like the fact that he's not just that Jason has not just come back for vengeance. No. Because that would be so easy and so boring and so straightforward. It's all complicated his feelings about Bruce. Because if you you think about it, he died as a child and he still, to a certain extent, even though he's grown, he's Mm. got an adult body, he still very much thinks like that young, angry child that he was. Yeah. He had to grow up too fast as a child, but then he was hung in, in limbo for way too many years and he didn't really get the chance to mature properly mm. so yeah he also has that kind of don't care if I live or die yeah. ability to actually leap straight into the firestorm there is also a majorly long flashback at the end of the uh, graphic novel which details exactly what happened uh, as Jason in the, in the missing years how Jason sort of you know moved up and uh, again something definitely to read uh, it's simply called Under the Hood the original it's a, just a two part much like Hush um, he is kind of to a point Punisher like yeah I yeah. suppose so to a point but it's again it's Me- more methods rather than killing aims. criminals he wants to control them yeah more in his methods than his actual aims but ultimately he wants to do a better job than Batman did with his what, what uh, Jason considers to be compromised methods Oh, and the other one bit that I really love is just a very brief moment when Jason has unmasked himself. I don't know what clouds your judgment worse. Your guilt or your antiquated sense of morality. Bruce, I forgive you for not saving me. But why? Why on God's earth? Is he still alive? (laughs) Gotta give the boy points. He came all the way back from the dead to make this shindig happen. So, who's got a camera? Ooh, ooh, get one of me and the kid first. 
then you and me, then the three of us, and then one with the crowbar. Then... You be as quiet as possible, or I'll put one in your lap first. Party pooper. No cake for you. And <laughs> it's, he's, he's having a whale of a time at this point. And it's in stark contrast to Bruce's worst goddamn nightmare, uh, which, which is what this is, and Jason's emotional turmoil. So, and, and ultimately when Batman does what he does to get out of the situation, what Joker says is, you still manage to work out a way to win, and everybody loses. <laughs> Yeah, which is which. In, so if since everybody loses, Joker wins. It's a brilliant way of, of showing his mentality there. And Jason does kind of have a point. <laughs> yeah, he's yeah. saying, not, "Don't kill Two Face. You don't need to kill anyone else. Just, just him." <laughs> and it all comes. It will always come back to that. Over the years, long after we're dead, Batman will still be challenged with the notion of whether or not to kill the Joker. And there will be times in certain else worlds where he will. But it won't ever be in regular continuity because that dynamic needs to consistently exist. Is it Arkham Asylum where he has a chat with the Joker about that? Or um, it could be that, or it could be Killing Joke. I think it's the very, very end, just before uh, he tells Batman a joke which makes Batman laugh. But I think Joker says something along the lines of, you know, one of these days, one of us is going to have to kill the other. We can't just it keep... It might actually be in both... <laughs> Significantly, in The Dark Knight Returns, which we aren't going to really talk about, um, at the end of both their lives, Bruce decides, fuck it. And just strangles <laughs> him to death. <laughs> and that was written before... Well, that was written to make Batman cool back in the early 80s. That was the book that started it all off. It took that act and various other things that happened in that. See, that's the fascinating thing about that. It was written as though Batman had actually started in year one in 1939, and it being, what, 1986? So it was nearly 50 years after that, and it was written as though Batman was incredibly old in the 80s, and that he, Bruce hadn't been Batman for years, and that, that all of Gotham had gone to the docks, which leads us very neatly to the next one. Some clowns were never funny. <laughs> Some villains you never forget. He died years ago. You're sure? I was there. Some heroes will never back down. Go to work. The Joker is back, and it's no laughing matter. <laughs> He's got a new crew. On the double. A new game. A lot has changed while your old Uncle Joker's been away. New Gotham, new rules, even a new Batman. I'm ready to give this old town a wetty again. Now the world's newest Dark Knight needs answers. What can you tell me about clowns? Drop it, kid. He'll have to stand alone. You're out of your league. I know every trick the original Batman and Robin knew at their peak. To face a vengeful menace from the past, whose day is about to dawn again. Let's dance. Joker, the first feature-length Batman Beyond movie, now available exclusively on video cassette and DVD. This time, the Joker is wild. <laughs> Batman Beyond: Return of the Joker serves as a closer for the three-season animated series, which takes place 50 years after the regular animated series continuity. Now, this is important. You don't have to have seen those three seasons of Batman Beyond. I haven't, and I managed to keep up with this film. If you haven't, this will probably make you keen to watch them anyway. What you need to know is that after years of declining health, Bruce Wayne hung up his cowl as Batman and took on a new protege named Terry McGuinness, who actually isn't too far away from Jason Todd, in terms of that he was sort of a, a street tear away. His father was killed, and so... Uh, he, Bruce sort of takes him in under his wing. Huh, his wing. You see, he's like a far more grounded Jason Todd. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he's Terry McGuinness is much more forthright. He's not a loose cannon like Jason. 
He's a lot more like Dick, let's face it. Yeah. Uh, people people compared him to Spider-Man in that he's quite snappy and talks and he can fly and <laughs> he's he's less like the uh, the serious, experienced Batman that we all know. This plays into Return of the Joker. Yeah. After months as a replacement Batman equipped with high-tech futuristic gadgets, Terry is beginning to wonder if he really is right for the role. Then the Joker appears in Gotham once again. He shouldn't be alive. He would be in his mid-80s now. We get a flashback to a post-script in the animated series. This would have taken place after the end of the fourth season. And I suppose, actually, it would have been after Justice League Unlimited, which I suppose was the last that we saw of that continuity the third Robin Tim Drake is kidnapped by the Joker and Harley Quinn this actually happened in continuity tortured and twisted into a mirror image of the clown himself in the process giving up Batman's true identity now bored with the chase and seeing this as the perfect coup de grace Joker orchestrates the murder of Batman by his own former ward in the ensuing chaos, Bruce nearly kills Joker in an act of absolute fury for what he's done to Tim. This mirrors events in Death in the Family, which came 12 years beforehand, as well as Hush and Under the Hood, which came two and six years after the film, as well as the cruelty of the killing joke and Batman's breakdown and reforming from The Dark Knight Returns. It's a chilling mix of everything emotional and tragic about Batman, expertly and fearlessly put together to close out this series, accessible to kids and adults alike. The uncut version here does push the line somewhat. There was a cut version. Various things happened differently. They changed the way certain characters are killed. I think ultimately the film, whether it's cut or not, probably isn't suitable for very young kids anyway because of what it, no. what it handles. And ultimately, if they're mature enough to understand what happens in the film and characters' motivations, they should really see the uncut version. So that is the version you should track down. Eventually, the twisted Joker Tim shoots and kills the Joker before collapsing his mind in tatters. Afterwards, we're told by an aged Batgirl as the new commissioner, Barbara Gordon, who herself witnessed Harley Quinn's apparent fall to her death. This brought about a new and sad era for Bruce. He refused to let Tim don the Robin suit again, and until Terry never took on another partner to train. That all happened in the last 50 years or so, until the beginning of Batman Beyond. Now, the shenanigans with the Joker's gang that takes up the bulk of this movie fall by the wayside next to the importance of Bruce's emotional turmoil. The returned Joker attacks and nearly kills Bruce, now in his mid-80s himself, and it takes Terry's Spider-Man-like ability to be chatty with his antagonists to eventually overcome the Joker. The secret was laughing at how pathetic the clown really is, how his making jokes that aren't funny is in its own way funny. It's a genuinely bittersweet ending for the animated Batman we know and love, knowing that he has endured multiple penances over the course of his long, hard life. It does, however, end with a victory, and the epilogue found at the end of the second series of Justice League Unlimited gives even better closure. So we're not going to reveal exactly how the Joker came to be here 50 years in the future. That's for you guys to find out for yourself. It happens at the end of the film. But it is the Mark Hamill Joker. I'll begin with how I peeled back the layers of the boy's mind. Though well, he bravely tried to fight it at first, you would have been proud to see him so strong. But all too soon, the serums and the shocks took their toll, and the dear lad began to share such secrets with me, secrets that are mine alone to know, Bruce. It's true, Batsy. I know everything. And kind of like the kid who peeks at his Christmas presents, I must admit, it's sadly anticlimactic. Behind all the sturm and batarangs, you're just a little boy in a play suit crying for mommy and daddy. It'd be funny if it weren't so pathetic. No, what the heck, I'll laugh anyway. <laughs> So what did you guys feel about this film? Was it the first time you'd seen it? No. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I knew that one. Sorry. Uh, Jerome, you go first. For me, it's a bit different because I actually watched the whole series of Batman Beyond and this oh, okay. was like the final coup de grace for me for the series. So the reason why people compare um, 
it to more to Spider-Man because it is very much he has to balance his everyday high school life while working for Bruce Wayne as Batman. Right. So is, it, is it really, really good? Is it on a yeah. par with the animated series? Because they're, they're quite expensive to be able to get hold of on R1 DVD or iTunes. I would definitely recommend watching it just to see, because it is very much a different type of Batman. But Bruce Wayne is still Bruce Wayne. See, that's the link for me. The fact that they've got the aged, aged 80-year-old, you know, haggard Bruce Wayne, still voiced by Kevin Conroy, and still just a mean old bastard. And I love yeah, that. Barbara Gordon's actually a big part of the series as well, because now she's the, she's the commissioner. She knows Terry's Batman, and often they have to clash because she still sees him as this um, little kid running around pretending to be Batman. Like, everybody's... It sort after watching this, it sheds a bit more light on the series. It shows just why, like Barbara and Bruce, are so bitter throughout the series because they're very cynical about everything. Yeah. Shortly after Bruce tries to murder the Joker, the Joker stabs him in the leg, which accounts for his wound, which stops him being the best Batman he can be. Yeah. Because I'm assuming Paul, you came at this from a I've never seen this series before point of view. Yeah. Um, it did take some getting used to. It having the link there with um, with Bruce. Bruce there as well mm. helps um, I'm still not entirely sure I like the, the setting and the, some of the design work but mm. particularly vehicles that's something you would get used to you know, watching a series yeah no it was a it was a good story as, as you go through as you said having him being a more wisecracking almost Spider-Man like character kind of works mm. especially with the contrast with with Bruce I like the notion that when it closes out it feels like Gotham is in good hands and that even as Bruce as relatively close to death as he is right now can leave with a clear conscience that he's done his, the best that he physically could yeah yeah. although I did wonder why I can't remember the character's name the one that looks like Scarecrow why has he got a Christopher Walken <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. For some reason, he wants Halloween treats. We're here to talk business. We'll be quick. Wolf gets seasick easy. The big guy who originally put us all in contact has decided you're a loose end. And loose ends should be tied up. Uh, it was Ghoul was the <laughs> scarecrow guy. And it was Michael Rosenbaum. Ah, the Flash himself. Also oh, Lex Luthor. Yeah. Um... Apparently, he also did when he did another series. He did the voice of somebody else. I've just lost it. <laughs> Lauren Tom is in there as well as Terry's. Is she his girlfriend, Jerome. Yeah, yeah. She's Amy from Futurama. So, interestingly yeah. enough, Hermes is Green Lantern. And Dean Stockwell. Yeah, Dean Stockwell plays the the aged Tim Drake. That mm. uh, is in Al from Quantum Leap, folks. Yeah, and Henry voice. Rollins. <laughs> oh, who was he? It says Benjamin Knox and Bonk, so doesn't he get killed fairly early on? Bonk. Yeah. Alright. <laughs> I think I the guy. Uh, and of course it is Mark Hamill as the Joker, and uh, he actually plays it slightly differently in this. He's more quiet and considered with all of his discussion. He doesn't just cackle wildly all the time. He seems to be... He is a Joker with a plan at this point. And he's yeah. very threatening. And very, yeah, reined in. Yeah. But still with it all kind of simmering under the surface. Yeah. You've lost, Batman. Robin is mine. The last sound you hear will be our laughter. Here you go, sonny boy. Make Daddy proud. Deliver the punchline. <laughs> Tim. Do it! That's not funny. That's not... Very well it, done. It's, like I said, it's, it's a really unusual turn. It's almost like they're... they're been told, right, you're closing out this series, yeah, Justice League's coming to an end as well fairly soon. Uh, actually, no, that, that carried on for several years. Okay, well, you're closing out this series, and 
Let, let's go out with a literal bang, shall we? Let's give Bruce the, the, the show-off he deserves. And <laughs> Bruce's dog. Oh, yes, yeah, Ace, Ace the Bat-Hound. <laughs> he he features throughout the series constantly. He's, he's quite a, good, actually. He functions as a Canis Ex Machina. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> Active dog. <laughs> um, what else is there to say? I mean, okay, right, just as an overview of these, these films... If you like Batman, you cannot go wrong with Under the Red Hood. It is dirt cheap now. And if you live in England or America, buy that immediately. Return of the Joker is going to be harder to get hold of, as is Year One. Year One, you can't buy it. You can buy it in HMV in the UK. Um, I think it's very exclusive. And it's so expensive, you may as well buy what you're going to say, Jerome. But, no, you can import it from America on Amazon. You can, but you can also get, there's, there's a five-pack, which I mentioned oh. before, which has uh, Year One, Under the Red Hood, Mask of the Phantasm, Gotham Knight, which I don't think we've really mentioned before, is a sort of an oddball collection of shorts that sort of form a coherent plot. At least it's got Kevin Conroy yeah. in there, and it sort of links in with Batman Begins. It's the animatrix of the yeah. Yeah. Nolan-verse, <laughs> basically. And the fifth one is Mystery of the Batwoman, which is not exceptional as a Batman film, but I think it was the last hurrah for uh, Kevin Conroy's Batman in that particular side of the universe. So I, I think it's like eleven ninety nine for all five movies on uh, uh, Amazon. Honestly, do recommend that. Now, Return of the Joker is going to set you back more. It's going to be about yeah. £12, £13 to buy. I would suggest buy the Blu-ray, because it look, I have that. It looks phenomenally good in HD. Yeah. And, of course, the Blu-ray is completely uncut. If you do buy the DVD, make sure you qualify that it is the uncut version because the cut one is going to have some slightly sloppy editing. Yeah, a lot of changes by the looks of it. Yeah. And I would say for year one, you know, if you are looking at it, because it's what, looking at just now, on Amazon, 18 quid for the Blu-ray. For a tenner less than that, you can buy the original comic. And I couldn't recommend the animation over the original comic. Ah, good point, yeah. I suppose if you just... I mean, if you love Year One already, you'd probably already got the, uh, yeah. the animation in some way. If you've never really done either, maybe just go for the comic role, and then if you love that, go for the animation in some way. But like I said, the, the box set with those five is extremely good value for money. That's £2 something per film, which is really, actually, yeah. phenomenal value. And none of these are overly long. I think the longest was right about an hour and a quarter. Yeah. Yeah. And none of them feel long. And none of them are bad, and several of them are phenomenally good. Yes. So, yeah. And the last thing I'm going to mention is that at one point in uh, Batman Return of the Joker, Joker says something along the lines of... Aren't you the nasty tattletale, ratting me out before I have my fun, Papa Spank? (laughs) Which is a reference to something that Batman did years and years and years ago in the Batman comics. Um, and this was like back in the 30s or something. If you Google Batman Papa Spank, you can check out the image here. And I will link you to this now. It's just literally a woman having her face rubbed viciously by Batman back when you could hit women and that was okay in comics. The makeup wax is quickly rubbed off. Let go of me! And then Batman says, Quiet, or Papa Spank. What <laughs> <laughs> Name that makes A that makes no sense and B it's like pseudo sexual threatening and creepy. Yeah. According to the page I'm looking at now, it turns out that the lady Batman is asking to be quiet is actually Catwoman in her first appearance. Quiet or Papa Spank? <laughs> I even mentioned this back when we were talking about Batman Digital Cowboys. Folks who listened to that might even remember. In fact, I think it might even have been the front cover when we interviewed Mike Oldman about Batman Arkham Asylum. So, yeah, Papa Spank has been in Digital Cowboys before. Uh, but Harley even does it in Arkham Asylum when she's torturing Warden Sharp. She says, Mama Spank, at one point. So it's become kind of a Batman meme over the years. So yeah, that's why the Joker says that. Right, so next week we will be reviewing Arkham Asylum and Arkham City in one show that will be out next Thursday. I would like to thank once again Jerome McIntosh and Paul Gibson of Gonzo Planet for helping me to talk about these fantastic films. No worries. It's been a pleasure. Always a pleasure, gentlemen. So, 
I've been Alex Shaw, you've been listening to Digital Gonzo, and Quiet or Papa Spank. <laughs> <laughs>